go after this three to four dream companies like you've never done before you make sure you get at least a meeting and in order to get a meeting you need to differentiate yourself Hi, I'm Kaval Obroy and this is Design This Way. On today's episode, I have with me Neha Tulsian. Neha is the founder and principal designer of NH1 Design, which is an integrated branding consultancy firm from Gurgaon. In fact, I have been a design consultant with NH1 for about 3 years of my career. NH1 was the first place I worked at right after my design education and a lot of work that I still do today is influenced by the things I got to learn from Neha. What makes NH1's work unique is their emphasis on the design approach that's focused on storytelling, touching emotions and creating thoughtful experiences. On today's episode we talk about Neha's journey as a designer and about how she started her own design practice NH1 Design. She also shares with us the thinking and process behind some of the interesting work that the firm has created so far and this episode is filled with great advice and tips from Neha which are really helpful for young creative professionals. Today's episode has been designed this way. Now I present Neha Tulsian. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Kamal. So, let's talk about one of the most iconic and powerful logos that you have created in your design career, which is the logo for a maternity hospital called Birthplace. That logo depicts the alphabet B as mother's womb, bearing a heart in the middle, and connected to the womb by a umbilical cord. And you depicted the story of maternity and motherhood through a delightful visual metaphor. Now, that logo you designed in early years of your career. Two months back, you had a baby daughter. Yeah, I did. How have your feelings about that logo changed after experiencing motherhood yourself? Okay, so when we de- when I designed the birthplace logo, I think about six to seven years ago, uh, it was a project, right? It was uh, any other design project which you do. This time, I got to actually experience the project. Right. Uh, to give you a little background, it was you know the heart as a symbol. It's the most cliche symbol on planet Earth. Yeah. So when we actually started to work on the logo, I kept making the heart, and I kept actually like you know what we need to like this is the first thing, but I'm getting stuck to it. Yeah. Uh, you need to go beyond the heart. Yeah. We, uh, we kept coming back to the heart. Right. And if you really look at it um, now, when I had the baby, I remember the first ultrasound. Mm. It was of the baby was actually the heartbeat. and the entire journey of the pregnancy right. okay was in all the ultrasounds we saw the first the heartbeat and then the heartbeat was a constant across the 9 months and finally the baby coming out which is again as a heart so i think i really connect with the brand much more today yeah. and uh, i think that's uh, one thing i told my husband after uh, having ida was you know this i have actually experienced both places it's uh, it's a uh, sad that we didn't have a baby in hyderabad otherwise <laughs> i would have chosen to deliver at the both place but yeah it was a very interesting experience yeah we experienced the logo instead of just like uh, yeah it's, 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 i won't say you experienced the logo i think we experienced the brand Yeah. Yeah, because it was much more than the logo which we created. Probably we'll talk about it a little later. Mm-hmm. But it was much more than the logo what we created for the birthplace. Yeah, we'll come to that. 
Let's talk about your childhood. You were born and brought up in Kolkata in a family of entrepreneurs and I learned that you were a highly mischievous kid. Yeah. And had no interest in pursuing any of the family businesses. So family business was something out of the window, definitely yeah. not. But I was of course a mischievous kid. We I grew up actually in a joint family of more than 200 people living together. Whoa. And uh, we still live together in Calcutta like that. We have these two buildings, everybody lives separately. So it's, it's, it was almost like coming home to a bunch of 30 cousins, uh, <laughs> your similar age, and just dropping our bag and having our lunch and going down to play. Right. And we used to come back by 11 o'clock and when my mom was just like, had given up on me. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I, growing up, the childhood days was fantastic. So you know, you'll, I'll be telling you something strange about my family. Uh, though we are a very traditional Marwari family, but we are not really a traditional Marwari family. Every single woman in my house works. Mm -hmm. So they, every single lady works. It could be a small shop, a big shop, it could be anything. But my entire 200 people, I think about, I would say 95% of them are working, are working uh, women. So I've always seen that. Right. So I was growing up. So you always knew you had to do something and become something. That, that was not a choice given to you. Right. <laughs> so why design? I think uh, me choosing design, my biggest influence was my sister. Mm -hmm. So she ran a company called Vizy with Communications in partnership with Ramre. Oh. And um, she, she, we had an eight year uh, difference between us and I always saw her doing things, taking out my opinions on certain things. And she has been a very big influence in me choosing to uh, pursue graphic design mm -hmm. and not anything else. And saying that I was not good at anything else. <laughs> uh, so I was good with art and commercial art as a student. Yeah. Uh, I had won a lot of these painting, you know, these uh, uh, yeah, painting yeah. competitions, inter-school and inter-things. But yeah. uh, that didn't like um, affect me too much. But I think it was my sister who really influenced me being a graphic designer. Yeah. And I also learned that at one point of time you wanted to be a table tennis player. So that was in grade seven, eight. I was a school champion. Uh -huh. I was a champion at home. You know how parents think that my <laughs> is the best. So I took, started taking training, actually reached the state level, but I lost uh, West Bengal at a very bad, uh, under five actually. Uh, so at that point I realized, you know, this is not my cup of tea. So right. let's look at something else. That was by grade 11, I knew I was not going to do TT. It was just <laughs> something uh, was going to be on the side. I mean, you decided that design was something that you wanted to do at some point because you saw your sister do that. But uh, how did you get into the industry? Okay, so um, to be very honest, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Okay, mm -hmm. so here I was out of class 12. Mm -hmm. I had to pursue something. Mm -hmm. So um, people who know Calcutta would know a college called the Bhavanipur College. It's one of the most, um, I shouldn't be saying it, but it's one of the most colleges where people go if they don't want to study. <laughs> right, so uh, I kind of ch chose to go to Bhavanipur College because only the college was a morning college and I used to get finished uh, over by 10 o'clock in the morning. Right. Then I could do whatever I wanted to do post that. So um, my sister helped me get an uh, internship with Lintas. Mm -hmm. I worked in Lintas for three that months. That was before your design education. I had no design education. Right after class 12, uh -huh. I joined a BCom college, mm -hmm. which was a morning college. Mm -hmm. In three years, I've gone to college twice. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and I used to, I, uh, my sister got me an internship with Lintas. So mm -hmm. I used to intern in Lintas for the first three months. Uh, it was an interesting experience. Those days, you, you were not given computers or anything. Right, oh. So I would just sit and like watch people work. Copy became a very integral part of me because uh, of being in Lintas and sitting next to a copywriter and trying to ideate on various uh, concepts and all of that. 
and then I, in, after uh, Lintas, I think I joined something called the Arena Multimedia because there was no computers given to us, right? So I wanted to start exploring something. So I started doing Photoshop, this and that. And then I also uh, interned in Rediffusion for about nine months. Oh. Uh, that was also a very interesting uh, learning experience. Uh -huh. I still remember there was a guy called Christopher who I'm not in touch with. I don't know where he is. But he used to sit next to me and actually teach me design. And, when, and that was during lunch breaks because there were two computers uh, during that time and he used to sit and teach me software, teach me design and I used to draw table tennis logos to begin with, right? <laughs> and uh, she used to just do logos for table tennis. Just for fun. Just for fun. So during my lunch break when everyone was having lunch, I'd probably go to the computer and draw, draw table tennis logos. <laughs> and uh, Rediffusion's clients was EverReady batteries those days. Oh. So we used to work on EverReady and uh, my table tennis logos. After Rediffusion, is actually took up my first job at APJ Surendra Group where my mentor was Preeti Paul. Oh. She actually taught me the discipline, the rigor, how to work hard and uh, all of it. Uh, she had a little uh, poster outside a door which actually said if you have a problem come to me with a solution. Yeah, so these are little things which I learned very earlier on in my uh, life and I was a sole designer at APJ Group that time. They were launching APJ.com uh, where stockmarket.com and oxfordbookstore.com, all of these dot-coms were getting launched. So I was actually thrown in the deep end at a very young age and I was working very hard till about 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. And those days I still remember there was a time my brother was standing downstairs and saying, okay, just leave your job and come, it's 12 o'clock at night. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing that you, I mean, you directly dived into the industry and rather than getting an education. But after that, you went to London College of Communication and got a bachelor's degree in graphic design. At what point did you decide that you wanted to take up design education seriously? Were you seeing some kind of gaps in your learning? So when I was uh, at APJ Group, I worked there for about one and a half years. After the end of one and a half years, I started to feel I lacked a lot of skills. I lacked a lot of thinking. And I want someone, someone to push me further to mm -hmm. uh, study. If I, I, I knew I wanted to do design. Also, I knew this was my love, right? I <laughs> wanted to pursue this further. Going to London was not never on the cards. A lot of my life decisions has been very spontaneous and organic. Uh, one thing I've been good at: every single design piece of design I produced at APJ, I used to document it, print uh -huh. it, and document it. One day I just got a call, I heard there was a British education fair going on in Calcutta right. and one of my friends sent me that little newspaper clipping right. and I just uh, picked up my file and I went to the uh, exhibition fair. Then I went and met uh, London College of Communication, the main dean there was there at that point. And he interviewed me on spot, saw my work on spot and gave me an unconditional letter. Otherwise, I don't think I would have made an effort to apply to London. <laughs> so you were pushed into going there. Yeah, it was, I think, all like, uh, it all came together very easily for me. Now, another thing which I want to add, one of the main things I feel I have benefited from my design education mm -hmm. a lot in London because uh -huh. I had worked for a year and a half before I went there. Okay. I was. I knew I was investing a lot of money and time on me going to London. Right. So I wanted to be hundred percent sure this is what I wanted to do. Right. So I had because of my learning in uh, at APJ and Rediffusion and Lintas, it all helped me in my design education. But strangely, the first year in LCC, I actually really struggled because I had to 
unlearn a lot of these things right because right, i right. was straight away going into the main thing and the main idea and i had to unlearn a lot of these things right. i really struggled in the first year and after which i think it became much easier because you always already had a process you had a thought process you knew there had to be a bigger idea behind any project right right i right. think that came because of my initial trainings and these three companies before i went for my design yeah. education one thing that's unique about your design career is the number of places you have interned after your graduation you have interned at johnson banks radford wallace sas design interbrand yeah together design unreal design william murrayham yeah and uh, a couple of other studios and agencies which internships were the most formative ones in your design career so i thoroughly enjoyed interning at Johnson Banks. Uh-huh. I thoroughly enjoyed interning at this company called SAS Design uh-huh. where my um, mentor was my external examiner. That's how I got my first internship. And uh, then uh, Williams Murrayham was a very interesting internship. Though I did zero work, design work there. Mm-hmm. I used to only run errands for them uh-huh. mostly. But um, I just got a chance to see how brainstorming sessions are done and all of that. Right. So that was a very interesting internship. I used to actually go uh, to the toilet and sometimes sulk because mm-hmm. I had no design work to do. But I survived those three weeks. Uh-huh. Uh, looking back now, I actually learned a lot just by watching people. That's yeah. all. Yeah. So, Why were you? So was this the reason that you were applying to so many internships? So I mean, because what, that's not uh, so, common practice. So actually what really, what really happened, I actually uh, got through a bachelor's course. You uh-huh. mentioned earlier I've done a bachelor's. I've not done a bachelor's, I've done an H&D uh, okay. in typography. I got through a bachelor's course when I reached London. Uh, what I realized after my foundation is, you know what, I can wrap up my studies in two years instead of do, uh, doing it in three years. Okay. I had a three-year visa. So right. after the second year, I took a gap year. Uh-huh. And in that gap year, I did internships. And to get one internships after another, because you, they, typically they offer you an internship for about three weeks. Right. So I had to plan in such a way that my internships were lined up for a year. Wow. Right. So, uh, and it was not easy to get internships in there. So I did whatever. So I had, I net, so my first internship came in um, easy, uh, was uh, through my external examiner, who was my last project. So he gave me an internship for about five weeks. Um, now this is it. So in the fifth, and during my internship at SAS Design, I still remember once uh, Gilma, who was my mentor, he came and asked me, "So how is it going?" I said, "You know, Gilma, I'm getting really bored. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I thought it'd be much more exciting to work in the real world." Then he said, "Okay, fine. I'll give you something very exciting to work on." And next three days, I was working till 4 a.m., mm-hmm. working on a big Deloitte pitch. And that's when he said, you now do you find that's exciting because I was giving you the easier part. So that was I, I really, really enjoyed working at SAS. And I kept in touch with all of these guys and, you know, because I was good at good as an intern, every time I was leaving that particular organization, they got me in my second internship. <laughs> so it actually was like a, a dominoes effect. And do you recommend industry experience over college and education more? What do you think is... Uh, I think both are more? important. Uh, college is a time where you actually work, uh, learn without too many boundaries. Mm-hmm. You actually get a chance to experiment with a very open mind. Right. So I think both are important and uh, industry also puts, gives you a perspective and gives you a chance to whatever you've learned to start using them in the real world. Right. Right. So I think both are equally important. Both are a part of the education system. Today, even we, we as professionals are also still learning, right? We right. always learning. But honestly, if I have to say, like I learned much more working in an in a agency more than college. That's just me, but then again. 
See, I, I would say it both helps with so the college uh, in terms of type, especially in UK, mm-hmm. uh, they give us a very strong foundation, extremely strong foundation for type. Um, uh, my pr- uh, professor Eugene was fantastic, very particular about ideas. Mm-hmm. I, we were not allowed to present to her anything on screen. I used to always complain, Eugene is very expensive to print. She used to think it's the investment you're making on yourself. Right. So um, used to always uh, take prints and present to Eugene and it's, al- it's always, it matters. Yeah. So the res- design education, uh, if you got a good design education, it really helps. And at some point uh, after that phase of your life, you returned back to India and you ended up joining one of the most successful creative agency in India, Rian Keshwan, during their heydays in the early 2000s, right? Yeah. Can you share some experiences you had at Rian Keshwan? Rain Keshavan, I would say, was one of my fantastic years of my life. Uh, in a way, uh, I had no design or business responsibility in that organization. Everything was taken <laughs> care of. Right. I, I used to go to, go to work and mm. had a bunch of friends I was working with. We are still really great friends today. And uh, yeah, we used to experiment, sit, critique each other's work in a very constructive manner and have fun while doing it. Right. So the entire culture in which Rain Keshavan was set up, was extremely interesting and it's a lot of NH1 kind of really seeks inspiration from whatever I have learned from my previous experiences. After that you worked with another influential agency of that time, VGC and you were called to start up a Bangalore operation for them. How was that challenge like because you were having dual role there as a creative director and as a business head of VGC Bangalore? Yeah, so after uh, my marriage actually moved to Bombay, when I actually joined uh, Preeti and I was working with her in the Bombay office and after six months my um, husband decided to move to Bangalore. That's when I approached uh, Preeti, I said instead of me going and looking for a job again in Bangalore, can I start a Bangalore office for you? Mm. And um, she kind of completely agreed to it uh, uh, surprisingly and I started the Bangalore office. And it was all Preeti's faith, I would say, at that point. I used to keep telling her, Preeti, will I be able to do it? And she kind of gave the right mentorship and the right direction to me at that mm-hmm. point and uh, a right guidance. And we started the Bangalore office. Uh, it, I was a one-person team in Bangalore. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think our first client in Bangalore was the Park Hotel. Mm-hmm. We used to design these billboards. Right. And uh, there was this one particular billboard. The Next to that was a Nitesh Shetty, a real estate's office. Mm-hmm. They keep, kept seeing these billboard change and Nitesh Shetty actually told the marketing manager, get me the designer who's working on the billboard. That's <laughs> how we got the first client in Bangalore was uh, Nitesh Shetty oh. as a real estate client. And then uh, VGC grew very organically. We worked from home, we hired a third designer after which we got an office space. We set up a 10 people uh, member team. We started working for Sam Miller and various other clients. Right. I ran that for about four and a half years. was right. very happy with it. So when I say Rain Keshwan was the best years of my life because I had no business responsibilities there. <laughs> at, um, at BGC, yeah. was, I was uh, playing a dual role of a creative director and a business head. There were a lot more responsibilities of running an organization, right. about being accountable to the accounts, about looking after the numbers of the organization, how the organization is growing and all right. of that. Though I always had Preeti to back me up uh, in case I was not doing something right. But um, the organization grew very well in Bangalore for four, four and a half years. And then I moved to Gurgaon and, uh, and that's how NH1 Design was born. 
yeah let's talk about nh1 design so when you started nh1 design uh, starting your own business is not easy because it's uh, as you said uh, the transition you made from re-engagement to vgc where you had some business responsibility now having your own business and having responsibility for that how was it i'll tell you something i never ran vgc as it was not my business uh, i ran vgc as it, it was ex- completely my business right i was accountable for every single profit and loss uh, statement of vgc bangalore so when I ran VGC, I knew the uh, tricks of the trade. Of course, there were lots of these uh, new business which Preeti would help me with, mm-hmm. but I did everything else as well, along with kind of trying to scout for new business. Mm-hmm. So uh, there was, I wouldn't have done anything different in NH1 design. What I did uh, differently at VGC, I mean, uh, it was almost the same. So it was, it was never a job. I have always worked as if I would have uh, worked right. even today. Right. Right. And what's the story behind the name NH1 Design? The story behind NH1 Design. Um, I was six, three months into uh, Gurgaon where I, I had started cold calling a lot of people to get uh, work, right? Right. And I had a strong real estate uh, portfolio myself. At that point, um, I contacted DLF and DLF wouldn't work with a freelancer. They loved the work I was doing. Mm-hmm. They loved the thinking I brought on the table. Right. And I wanted to get the company registered ASAP. Right. Okay, because mm-hmm. to start working with DLF. Right. And, uh, and that's how it actually started. I just, uh, I gave three names actually. And H1 was not even on the list that time. Right. I had three names you and all the three try. names, all, most of the names started with design. And right. my, Calcutta, my company was getting registered out of Calcutta. Right. So they kind of, the, whoever was taking the decision was not letting it go. So uh-huh. I said, you know what, just name it NH1 and move forward with it. Is NH1 okay? He said, yes. I said, just can you just register it and let's move forward. I need, <laughs> I need to start working. Yeah. But it's NH1 actually has a story to it because we also feel design is always a journey, right? Right. And so, NH1 is the National Highway yeah. 1, yes. which is near your office. Yes. So design is a journey, hence uh, uh, we came across the name NH1 Design. How was the first year of NH1 like? The first you year and the, the first year was the easiest, I would say, mm-hmm. of running NH1 design. Mm-hmm. And zero cost, working from home, <laughs> and no overheads. Uh, I only wanted to say that I wanted to make my salary what I was, whatever I was making. That was my target at right. uh, NH1 in the first year. And, uh, and the only this difficult part of starting on your own, working from home, mm-hmm. was moving f- come from your bedroom to your uh, studio room. <laughs> right, and yeah. that yeah, that was a difficult part, and it of course gets lonely. Right, it gets lonely because suppose if you have an idea and you really think, and you look, look, you look right, and you look left. There's nobody to say, hey, look at this. What do you think of it? Right, right, right. So there was right. no one there to do that, and I of course had I had a network of friends to kind of talk to, but uh, at that point I realized it'd be nice to hire somebody right. to discipline myself. Right, so right, I right. get up from my bed and I'm at the table by, if not not 9.30, by 10 at least. Uh-huh. So, um, and I got my first, uh, then I met this lady who actually was a fashion designer, mm-hmm. Anvi, and uh, she wanted to start, learn graphic design. So she joined me and she worked with me for good three, three and a half years uh-huh. and gave shape to NH1 Design. Then we hired the fifth person at NH1 at home as that's when we actually moved out of home and got a small office space for us. Yeah, and I think uh, after a few months of you moving to this new space, I joined NH1. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. so, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you mentioned before that you always had processes put up in place even when you had one or two people in it. 
in this So field. as I said, you know, a lot of my learnings have come from my previous jobs, right? right. When I started VGC Bangalore, I made sure the processes were in place. Right, right. When right. I started NH1 Design, I wanted to make sure, even though we were a two-people team, mm-hmm. I wanted processes in place. Uh-huh. I uh, started writing my staff handbook. The staff handbook is still not designed. Right. It's been six years. I have a great idea how to design <laughs> it, but we still haven't designed it. But we've got the we wrote the staff handbook. We uh, got a la- lawyer in to get the proposals and everything in place. Right. Uh, proposal templates, all of these things were put together, right. and there was a beautiful template folder created, and everything was kind of pushed in there. Right, right, right. Even things like recruitment letters, salary slips, yeah. two people's salary slips. I wanted salary slips. We don't, we don't have, we didn't have an accountant, but I wanted salary slips. <laughs> so getting, uh, getting the entire softwares in place and everything, what softwares yeah. we wanted to use, so all of that was done in the first year. Yeah, and I think when I joined uh, NH1, uh, that time uh, you had already automated uh, the salary yeah. of uh, the, all the employees, and which is not a common practice pretty much, like you had automated payments, our attendance was automated and pretty much everything was accounted for. So I would say that part of it I would uh, give credit to my better half here. Uh, so he used to be working this company called the Intuit. Right. And when he first saw me raising an invoice on InDesign <laughs> and trying to calculate service tax, those days I think, service tax. Yeah. And I used to make a mistake in that 18% of calculation. And uh, he said, you really need to have a better financial clarity where you, how your business is growing. Yeah. So it's then when I started using QuickBooks right. as an accounting software and I swear by it even today. Because the kind of financial clarity I get mm-hmm. when I'm running uh, NH1 Design, uh, mm-hmm. it's fantastic. I don't get into the accounts part of it, but I know what's going in, what's coming out. Yeah, we'll talk about the processes that you have uh, put in place. Let's discuss about your work before that. It's going to be six years since NH1 Design was founded. Right. And there's a huge portfolio of work that the firm has produced so far. Let's talk about some of the iconic work that NH1 has produced. So uh, let's start with Birthplace, the logo we talked about in the starting of this podcast. And it also marks the birth of NH1 Design. Yeah, it was one of the first projects by NH1 Design. And you know, before we got into the logo of Birthplace, there was a lot of other thinking which went onto Birthplace. What kind? Um, now, you know, typically in India, when a woman is delivering, uh, you, when you go to a hospital, there are different rates for a cesarean and a normal delivery. Right, and generally, there's a perception is uh, doctors charge me more. He did a cesarean because he, the hospital wanted to earn more money. And right. birthplace is a flat rate for delivery. Oh, so as a hospital, they have taken this. Uh, as they, they took, they took this stance. Secondly, we also identified a woman is not really sick when she's delivering a child. Right. 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 So why should the entire exp- birthing experience needs to be like a, like that of a hospital? Right. Right. So the so we had chefs on calls. We had uh, there, there was an entire rule which we put in like, like guests are, are like can walk in and walk out anytime and depending on what the woman wants. Right. So and everything was all the experience part of it was kind of put together. They had Lamas classes. Right. The founder was great. The healthcare consulting firm was great. All of us came together to kind of create the birthing experience as a memorable one. Right. Now taking that a brief. Right. right. If we had to create a birthing experience as a memorable one, right. how did we articulate that into the brand identity and the entire look and feel of the brand is when we started to work on it, as I uh, earlier mentioned, right? Right. Uh, we re- I really personally wanted to stay away from the heart because I was the only designer at that point working right, on it. Right, right, right. And the more I stayed away from it, the closer I went to it. <laughs> 
Right, so we then actually took the heart and I started fiddling around with it. I said, okay, let me make the baby grow. Right. The baby is attached to the umbilical cord and finally the baby walked out of the womb. So right. I didn't create a logo, but I created the entire experience. Right, the story also, that you told through yeah, those Also the so. uh, brand name birthplace itself lended itself to another line of communication. Right. So it was a birthplace of a mother. Ah. A woman becomes a mother for the first time. Right. Another insight which we got during the entire project was, you know, fathers feel very alienated at that point, right? right. It's only about the mother and the child. Right, it so has become like that. So mm. birthplace, we also designed a card which the hospital can go and give it to the father. Right. Like birthplace of a father with the date of the baby. Right. So we wanted to do just, just the small things which could touch people's heart. Right. in a big way and those days you know uh, Facebook announcement of birth birthing announcement was become big so we created a little kiosk within the birthplace itself they had these templates mm -hmm. on what document where the brand itself could announce the baby birth right. so just little little things we did to make sure birthplace was much more than a logo or any of these but entire brand and birthplace has has been the only I want to say one of the brands in my life where the client actually calls me and says, you know, we have had patients who have called us and said, what a lovely fan logo. Like, people wow. don't really do that. Wow, so that, that feels doesn't really, happen. Really good. That really feels really good, yeah. That's amazing. And uh, another interesting project that comes to my mind uh, is CPO. Right, so you worked very closely with CPO as well. Yeah, right? <laughs> I was lucky enough to be at that time in the studio. And uh, which is a branding project for prosthetics and orthotics brand. and. When I was working on it, I recall the extent of qualitative research you made us do. You made us interview all the people uh, who are going to get new prosthetics. And the kind of insights we got from that changed the entire trajectory of how we were thinking about the project. Yeah, so you know that I, you are very actively involved in the project. So how we actually approach a bra first branding project. It's first of all, uh, we have a couple of meeting sessions with the clients. Right. Uh, we go and visit the clinics, the hospitals, and CPO had about 18 clinics in the US, and they had about, they were right. just got funded, so they were expanding their uh, clinics in India. Uh, CPO stands for Comprehensive Prosthetics and Orthotics. Right. What they do is they provide customized orthotics or prosthetic solutions uh, for patients, which basically means if you lose your leg or an arm to an accident or some mishaps, they will make you customized limb depending on your budget. Right. Right. And suppose, your body form and budget and everything. Yeah. Suppose if you were a, a graphic designer and you lost your arm, one of the primary concerns you would have, can I continue to design? Right. Right. So they will make you an arm based on your uh, requirement. Usage. Usage. A lot of times you can go and uh, get these from uh, bigger brands like an Autobock. It was not an Autobock, which was a high-end uh, clinic. It was somewhere in the middle segment and they right. want to customize prosthetics depending on your budget. Yeah. And right? Yeah. So when we saw that, then we created first a briefing document for the client. Right. And it's always a written briefing document right. where the client fills in his thoughts and we keep co-creating the brief with the client till right. we are 100% right that we've got the briefing document right. Yeah, I remember in fact uh, uh, you made us go through the briefing document that came back and find the loopholes in that and even maybe refine it further, ask that whether it needs to be sent to the client or should we think about it more. Yeah, so that's a very integral part uh, of uh, working on a design project. Mm. If we get the brief right, chances of the design uh, solution could be much better evolved yeah. than uh, what it is. So we, we make sure we work with the client to get the brief right, right. get his vision, mission, all of these things articulated within the brief right. itself. 
after which comes a brand audit phase uh, right. especially because it was a rebranding project than a new project right. and i remember visiting their clinics i remember i remember there was a doctor there and i asked him why is there a height measurement tool because right. like uh, then he said if you amputated by both your legs your height falls down that's why yeah. you, you we had a height measurement tool and then depending on your previous height you're given a uh, leg accordingly and then there was a gait training area where he explained to me when you wear your leg for the first time how you walk through the gait yeah, training area yeah i remember area. seeing and what are the different movements then we studied those movements we studied those diagrams and uh, space so that cpo was a very interesting project when we also met all the patients there so the yeah. client actually lined up all the patients I remember scheduling five interviews a day, yeah. and we couldn't actually go uh, more than do, do more than two interviews a day because when patients actually start talking yeah. about their experience of losing an arm or a, a leg, it's yeah. it gets really emotional and it gets very yeah. heavy for everybody around. So you, yeah, it was dif- difficult yeah. to hear all those stories yeah. and coming back and and then depending on what the insights which we got from these patients yeah. is, we def- uh, actually uh, formed our strategy. It was making you move. Right. What we really realized was. People actually don't want to climb a Mount Everest, right? Right. Not all of them want to do it right. after losing a leg. Exactly. They actually just want to be able to go to the shop. Right. They should. They want to be. They want to play cricket again. Yeah. They want to take their pet for the walk. Yeah. So we just took those little things in life and right. put that into the design strategy. Mm-hmm. We gave the brand a visual tone of voice, which yeah. is the logo and everything, and we gave a brand a verbal tone of voice also. Yeah. I think that's where I think we kind of. Um, really put an effort on to define the visual and the verbal tone of voice for example if i know kaval looks like this mm-hmm. right he that's your visual personality yeah, and yeah. how you talk is your verbal personality so we define yeah, the visual yeah. and the verbal tone of personality for cpo and then we took the entire brand forward across all touch points what the patients would we also do in in a very i think very intuitive way we do a lot of consumer journey mapping as well yeah patient's journey mapping what are the different touch points with the patient interact with with the doctor at the clinic right. who are the clinicians technicians how should they talk we do all of that as well right and then finally come together to create the brand right right till then you had uh, most of the projects that you had in your portfolio were related to hospitals and serious corporate uh, branding and around that time you got a project of uh, restaurant branding and it was all dealing with joy and fun and the brand's name was maja and how was it uh, trying to convince the client that you could do something in that kind of sphere while your portfolio was mostly about serious topics even birthplace was about joy <laughs> yeah so uh, but even kind of joy yeah different yeah. kind of a joy even when you recover from health is also joy yeah uh, i or that's why we approach healthcare projects as not serious healthcare projects right uh, it is it's it's humane projects you go to a hospital to get cured and get out of it nobody yeah. wants to stay in a hospital for a very long time right um, so uh, birthplace was the first project of nh1 design right so after the success of birthplace we started getting a lot of hospitals which is very uh, natural, natural to uh, do yeah. one of our healthcare clients itself was launching uh, maja mm-hmm. so we i worked with him on medi council earlier so they were he was in the maja team mm-hmm. and they got us in because they had more than anything else they had uh, enjoyed our thought process yeah our journey which we worked with them for mm-hmm. and because of the journey we got the entire project called uh, on maja maja is a desi snack brand based out of ahmedabad mm-hmm. and they were coming out with a chain of outlets for vada pav in ahmedabad so vada pav in ahmedabad is a little sweet right so they with this with this inside they wanted to create a chain of a uh, quick service restaurants in ahmedabad 
uh, under the name under the umbrella of Maja, which would serve desi snacks. Vada uh, would be the hero product, yeah. and they would have other desi snacks like samosa, chola puri, etc. For the non-Indian listeners, Vada Pav is a potato uh, patty in between a bun, right? Right. That's how you. It's, it's it's not a burger, but yeah, it's, it's like, like a potato it looks like burger. A burger. Yeah. One of those uh, uh, expensive restaurants describe uh, Indian food like that, right? Uh, like mashed potato patty burger spiced with Indian aromatic spices, <laughs> <laughs> lightly kept over fluffy buns. <laughs> Anyways, so so with the brand name Maja, um, actually we were we were given an open slate yeah. to whether should we use Maja or should we rethink for the name. Yeah, we we thought of a lot of names and then we went back to the client and said, hey, no, dude, Maja is lovely. He said, yeah. why do you say Maja is lovely? I said, now Maja is such a word which work works across India. Yeah, let's try to translate Maja. So Maja would mean fun. Fun, yeah. Yeah, fun, right? Yeah, Maja means fun. Yeah, just to have Maja, fun, have fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the word Maja is so versatile in India. When you go to Karnataka, you say Maja Mari. When you go east, you say Maja Ashche. My Bengali is terrible. When you go north, you say Maja Vich, Maja Vich, Maja Aya. So Maja, Maja Me Khao, Maja Me Pio, Maja Aila. That word is really versatile. It, it translates across India. Yeah, pretty much all the Indian languages have, have the word have Maja in it. So we said let's keep the word uh, brand name Maja itself and we extended the entire again the verbal language of the brand across right. languages across all the Maja Me Khao, Maja Me Pio, Dil Me Maja, Pet Me Maja so the, the entire thing the word yeah. Maja became very versatile and then we also created an illustration style for the brand mm. which was extremely uh, hand done raw which was inspired by Bombay right. and every single illustration we wanted the food to be the hero. Right. So around the food, around the vada pavs, all the entire storytelling has been created. And when we were actually visiting the um, kitchens of uh, Maja, we saw these beautiful vada pav trays in right. which the vada pavs were getting baked. Right, right, and then right. we took those trays and converted them into photo frames within the uh, outlets itself. Yeah, and the outlet, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's talk about another interesting project you did, uh, which was a project for Central Square Foundation and in which you empowered the client to be able to create branded, aesthetically beautiful reports without intervention of a graphic designer, hmm. where you empowered like non-designers to design, right? And uh, almost every designer I know dreads working in Microsoft applications, while that project was made entirely in MS Word. Right. How did you achieve that and why? Can you talk about that? So, you know what Central Square Foundation does? It's basically an organization which funds various educational organizations as well. And they, find, they influence the government for educational policies, right. etc. To form and reform and all of that. So, these, they were writing these complex reports which was going to the governments. Right. Uh, and when we met the client, they said, we, is there a better way we can present these reports? Because right. they're looking like... Uh, they're not looking aesthetically correct. The information hierarchy is not so correct. Did the client come to you for that uh, yes. uh, exact reason? Yeah. yeah. So they said, can we make these reports look nice? Right. And when we were sitting in across the table and discussing various, uh, so I said, how many such reports do you do? And Central Square Foundation was a start, is a startup. It right. still works like a startup. Right. So how many such reports do you do uh, over a year and all of that? What really, what we realize, the numbers don't really add up if they keep coming back to us to design the reports. Right. Right. So uh, we said, okay, can we think of a solution in which you can keep designing your reports yourself without going to a design agency? 
Right. Right. Because it's it's uh, number one. It's because you're a startup. It's expensive to keep going back to design agency right. to write a report. Your project managers are writing these reports, and these reports keep changing the facts, digits, numbers keeps changing overnight. So it's best you do it internally, then right. to outsource this job to a design agency. Right. And when we started working with the project managers, we realized they were doing all of this in Microsoft Word. Right. So that's I said, okay, I will design templates in Microsoft Word, and I'll give it to you. So what you can do is you can use those templates and design your own reports, hmm. right? So we we wanted so that's why we say it's design for non-designers. Right. Uh, we made the entire structure. We define the typography. We define the color palette. We still define the design language, right. and then further took that design language into Microsoft Word. Yeah. And now as a graphic designer, you would realize Microsoft Word has a mind of its own. So try <laughs> yeah. designing a hundred page document on Microsoft Word. Oh, and then a hundred you know, page, it's impossible. Yeah. So like we, we gave more than 200 page template uh, to, uh, to Central Square Foundation. Whoa. PPT template, uh, Microsoft Word template, news, uh, newsletter template, which they could take it forward. Right. We used really simple design elements like the highlighters, everything which was already available on Microsoft that. Word. Yeah. We defined an illustration style which could be imported into Microsoft Word, we created a bank of illustrations for them. Right. And that's how they started using them. And you know, when we did the entire training session with the project managers, yeah. after completed a 100 page document, right. I realized uh, th these guys, if I took five days to design a document, they, they take two days to do it because they were so good on Microsoft Word. Whoa. And in the first report they printed and they designed and they gave it to us, it was actually a very very well designed report which they followed our template and they created. So that was a huge success for us. Oh. That's amazing because uh, I mean, not a lot of designers open up the process and let the clients design on their own. Yeah, it, it's uh, it was one of the most challenging projects I would say. Right. To uh, set templates in Microsoft, what's he one to two pages you can manage, right? Right. But when you have to set like a ten to hundred page template for a client, different mm. kind of covers, it it takes time, and uh, right. so that was a very interesting project. Uh, which we uh, did for Central Square Foundation. And they're still using it? They're still using it. I still get their newsletter template, which is, I think they're following it. I haven't been seeing the report templates recently because uh, yeah. it's been five years, but I'm sure they're still using it. That's amazing. Now, the last project that we will discuss on the podcast will be your recent project that has been a part of discussion at a lot of platforms. And uh, it's a project to encourage conversations around menstruation. Right. right and it's called don't hide it period right yeah you created a packaging for menstruation pad right? right and it is explicit packaging it just says what it is about so don't hide it period is actually a project which is aimed to spark conversations around periods right. now what really happens we actually talk a lot about uh, menstruation you read hundreds of blogs on menstruation right. but it ends there we said what if the conversation can be in my bathroom because the conversation is between me and my periods, right. right? The conversation is first within me than anything else, right. right? So I wanted to create a packaging system which actually engages me with conversation and sits proudly on my bathroom shelf and, and I shouldn't be hiding it in a drawer. Right. So that's how we created Don't Hide It Period, a sanitary pad packaging, mm. which is nothing but a white canvas bag with red polka dots on it. Mm. And it says Don't Hide It Period. And every single pad has a unique message. Right. It's messages like, I create life, period. Right. Right? Uh, it's nothing to be ashamed. 
period. Uh, so um, also like uh, uh, when when people go out and buy sanitary pads, they wrap it in a black plastic bag. Yeah, it's wrapped in a black plastic bag and uh, sneaked in somewhere in a bag. That's how yeah. we wanted to start the entire conversation. I imagine if you're in a public toilet and you see a don't hide it period sanitary pad kept there. Right. It's almost having a conversation with you. Right. right? right. So that's how we wanted to take the brand. We wanted corporates to buy these off uh, from uh, Nike and we wanted them to put it in the toilet so they can start having this internal dialogue within the thing. And we we aimed Urban India as well to do this. Uh-huh. And uh, because we saw there's a lot of gap in Urban India itself. Right. Right. Um, because I see personally, I've seen this uh, that a lot of times women don't enter the kitchen. They don't go to the temple, mm-hmm. uh, especially praying. Even a kitchen is praying is becoming a big taboo when it comes to our periods. Right. So we wanted to break all of these myths. Mm-hmm. Associated even in urban with India, even in urban India, mm-hmm. you'll be surprised. Even in urban India, people don't enter the temple. People don't uh, while they're on their periods. They avoid it. So yeah. we said we will create a product for Urban India. Right. We tied up with Akar Innovations right. and Better India. The entire proceeds were given to uh, Better India and Akar Innovations. And we set up a low-cost sustainable sanitary pad factory in Ajmer uh, beginning of last year, right. which was funded towards that. So the entire project was an extremely interesting learning curve for NH1 Design because mm. here we launched a product, we mm. marketed it a product, Mm-hmm. We figured out a sales channel. We figured out every single uh, aspect, right. how to do social media marketing, all of it for our product and the right partnerships to take the brand forward. Right. Uh, the right partnerships with Nike, the right partnerships with the PR agents. It was extremely a very interesting uh, project which, uh, which we worked on. One thing that I've heard, overheard people say uh, is uh, that this project, if it has to be authentically done to have the impact that uh, you intend to do. It should be done in the places where it's a bigger taboo, like rural India, a lot of places it's a way bigger taboo than urban. You know, you start somewhere. Right. Anything, you start, have to make a beginning somewhere. Right. It can go, even today when we started this project, right. it was a little experiment for us, right? We also right. wanted to see how this is going. We had an idea, we had a vision right. for it, for the project, right? So when we created the pack, this pack, in terms of the cost of the pack, was not going to work for rural India. Right, right, right. You have to be a little more practical when you come up with ideas as well. As a pack, in terms of the costing of the pack, it's not going to work for rural India. Yeah. Because I'm not a sanitary pad manufacturer. I'm not getting the pads at those costs. Right, right, right. right. So yeah, this particular package was actually working for a very, very elite urban class who would be able to afford a pack of yeah. the sanitary pad at 285 yeah, rupees. Yeah, yeah, that's the the proceeds were go- going to help the rural India. Uh-huh. Right, so everything can't be directed towards rural India. Now, if you want to take this project to phase two, mm-hmm. is this you have validated the project, you right. have validated your idea, you know the idea is working, right. you know the conversations have begun. Now, translate them into local languages, make the packaging more affordable, right? right? And then uh, float it into uh, tier two cities and pump on the distribution till you do not have a distribution channel, yeah. till you don't have the advertising budget. Right. You only by designing a great pack, it will be sitting on your shelf. It will never have an impact. You right. need the entire uh, wheel to work towards pushing the product into actually where you see scale. Right. right. So that would be the phase two and the phase three of the project where it will go to tier two and tier three cities where it could be translated to local languages. Right. Where the message, and why only India? 
right? Why why are you only limited to this? This can go across, uh, go glo grow globally as well. Given the right uh, channels have been pushed in, the right distribution, the right manufacturing, everything is in place for the actually the uh, the project to come alive. Right, 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 right. Now let me share a secret about you with our listeners. Oh. Yeah, you love taking backups. I've seen you take backup of backups. In fact, every Friday, 5 p.m. used to be a backup time where everybody in the studio would sit down together and backup all the work we have done in the week. And is it true that you have backup in a bank locker? Not yet. <laughs> uh, it'll go there uh, one day, uh, very soon in fact. Yeah. Okay, backup of a backup of a backup. It's something I, I always compulse. do. It's, it's because see, our, the, our work is our biggest asset, right? Yeah. I might want to pull something out tomorrow and I'm very particular about how you archive work. Yeah, that, that's one thing so I really appreciate and learned while working here. Yeah, so I, I mean, that's a bit of a, I think, uh, a thing. So I always have a very systematic process. I always tell designers, if you call in sick tomorrow or, and there is a file need to be retrieved, right. don't give me a chance that I have to call you when you are sick to retrieve that file. Yeah. That that's file should be filed in a particular way that anybody who opens that uh, job folder should know which is the latest file you were working on without trying to do R&D. Yeah, I think this is a really good learning lesson for all the designers out there who are listening. Always take a backup and take a backup of the backup and maybe another. <laughs> Not the other. <laughs> you can stop in the backup of a backup. So there's another habit that I learned while working with you, which we talked a little bit, uh, was about reading the briefs and actually taking the briefing with the client. What are the things you look for while taking a brief with the client when it comes to branding? Um, you know, it actually differs from project to project. Right. Okay, so before you even start taking the brief is you understand the business of the client. Right. Right, but once you understand the business of the client, once you had a couple of sessions with the client, it's after that is when you start go to write a briefing document because all our briefing documents, uh, actually sometimes some questions remain generic, of course, your target right. audience and all of that. Right. But the other ones, and the more deeper you get into the brand, all these questions are tailor-made for that particular brand. Right. And you co-create the brief with the client. Once you and the client both are happy with the brief, mm. is then when you get your team of designers and uh, brief the designers. And I always say, read the brief, right. reread the brief, and then reread it again. Right. And you should keep like marking highlighters of what are the things which you need to communicate. And there's a little thumb rule which says the when, why, where, how, what, which. All of these questions needs to be answered. Yeah. And you should have, shouldn't have any more questions left after you've answered your uh, brief. Right. Um, in, in terms of the design process after the uh, briefing sessions is, goes into a primarily a secondary research. This phase could involve uh, desk research, this phase could involve even talking to consumers, going into the market and seeing the market. Right. We do the research, definitely we do it, but uh, a lot of our um, intuition also plays a very yeah, important a role yeah. when it comes to articulating those research. Right. Yeah. When, you, when you see something, you say you like it. There's a gut feeling, right? You right. like something from a gut feeling. Right. It's a lot of times you don't have a logic, a logical answer to everything why you like it. You can't arrive to that uh, solution by just logic. Some logic. solutions you can arrive to logic depending on the project, but some ah. solutions require a slightly more deeper understanding and some solutions have to be illogical. 
<laughs> right? So if uh, because emotions are illogical in lots of lots of ways, sometimes are they logical as well. But uh, yeah, so we uh, use a lot of our uh, intuition, gut feeling, research, all of this back together. Right. Of course, with business insights, and then come through a creative strategy. Right. Once we've frozen the creative strategy and the positioning, define the brand DNA with the client, is then we get into the design process right. of it. Right. So we've actually started putting frameworks in place, branding frameworks in place. Yeah, your briefing, in fact, is yeah. very uh, precise. That's what I would say. Yeah. Because I've seen uh, design briefs from different agencies and clients and... Yeah, so I've had clients who uh, look at my design brief and say, do you really want me to fill this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Make them go through that. Yeah, so I always tell them, I'll probably uh, offer you a treat after you fill this briefing document, but yeah, you have to fill it. So that's almost... And there's like also iterations that you go through. Yeah, so there are versions of design brief. Yeah. with the client before the design briefs is uh, finalized. That makes huge difference in the outcomes because I've seen that. So you have to ask a lot of questions because if you don't ask questions, right. um, you know when we worked on this uh, brand called ba Asian Bariatrics, right. I didn't know what bariatric surgery was. Right. right. And imagine you're giving me business and I don't, don't understand what bariatric surgery is. I sat down with the client and went, uh, saw robotic bariatric surgery as well. Oh. So these are the different things you actually do and chances are if I don't know what your business is about Right I'll do so much deeper research that my insights would be much more interesting Yeah That's yeah. true A lot of times the easiest briefs are the most difficult to work on Because you kind of know a lot about it already. <laughs> A lot about yeah. it Yeah that's true That's true Now let's talk about the company culture I've worked as a design consultant with NH1 Design for 3 years and I have very fond memories working here. I recall some of the bizarre things that I've seen while working here, which includes a huge bouncy castle right outside our studio and uh, Nerf gun fights and uh, snake charmers playing flutes for us, brightly painted eggs and office being filled with thousands of inflated balloons. It's crazy because I, we don't, you don't see that kind of things at work. And it also comes from your personality and the the spontaneity that you have but at the end of the day we were able to complete work on time and there was an amazing balance that you were able to maintain how did that, that happen how so you know um, we work hard okay but we always have fun while we work and um, we are very strict with timelines is uh, yeah, as you I know, know. <laughs> so if I give a date uh, that means that date I've become a little lenient these days but I'm very strict with timelines uh, so as long as work is happening and we, we need to have fun along with it, it, it just happens and, and so I personally feel we shouldn't grow up. So the entire cult, company culture mm -hmm. is, um, it's not only my personality, I think it's, it's about everybody who works here. I think they're a lot more relaxed, uh, uh, they work hard but they know, they, they have a very fine balance and even a lot of times I've been told even if I'm not in the studio, especially after ERA I've been like in and out of studio but the work happens. And I know uh, the works always uh, work is always a priority. In between, yeah, you go play a TD match if you're feeling very stressed and you don't have an idea. That's fair enough. So when I put out the questions for the listeners, a lot of people ask me how to join your team and how to get a job at NH1 or internship. How do you join NH1 Design? I would say, how do you join NH1 Design or any other design company? Uh -huh. Right? Um, uh, you know, uh, the first thing you do as a designer. Mm -hmm. when you get out of college, even before you start selling, uh, 
juice brand for a client or anything work for a client is you, you have to sell yourself to an agency. So when you have to sell yourself, what are the things do I get? I get typically an email in my inbox, which 90% right. look the same. Right. They have a, a PDF document which they tell me how much of InDesign skills they have, which are skills between 0% to 100%. Yeah. And it's all of them follow a same template. Right. Now, are you really differentiating yourself uh, right. as a designer? Right, right, right. I, we received 100 such CVs or 20 such, 30 such CVs in a day. Yeah. Like how do you differentiate yourself when you're trying to uh, get a job in, in a company? That right. would be my question you would have to ask. Is your CV a template from the internet and I have a Behance link and a website link? Mm -hmm. Everyone's doing it. How are you doing? How are you selling yourself differently? Right. So before you do this for a client, ask yourself this question, how can I sell myself differently? If I have to give you a couple of examples, if suppose you had to join NH1 Design, Mm -hmm. Why don't you redesign the birthplace logo for me and tell you, okay, uh, this is how I would have approached it. Yeah. Why wouldn't you redesign uh, any, any, why wouldn't you just tell me, okay, what are the different things you have to, you can do around your NH1 office. Show me you're genuinely interested in, in the work which the company does. I think if you are as, as, as a design student, I'm sure you have three to four different dream companies you want to work, mm -hmm. work for. Go after these three to four dream companies like uh, you've never done before. You make sure you uh, get at least a meeting. Right. You have to make sure you get a meeting and in order to get a meeting you need to differentiate yourself. Right. Just like the same way you would differentiate your client product, first differentiate yourself. Right. In the right, market right. and then kind of, uh, of make an impression. Of your make work, an impression. Right? Yeah. And uh, I think the CV design especially what I see uh, coming out of from design schools, CV and portfolio, CV and portfolio are, are all like templates. They do not reflect the personality of the person. Mm -hmm. They do not, they do not have, they don't have a concept. Right. They really do lack a concept and an we, as, as an agency, we actually uh, would love to have something sitting on a desk which is beautifully printed. Uh, it's got all the qualities or at least which kind of has a brilliant idea which I say, hey, let's meet this guy. Right, right, right. So what's next for NH1 Design? Actually next for NH1 is tomorrow. We have a really big meeting at 2 o'clock tomorrow. <laughs> uh, yeah. On a higher level, I think next for NH1 Design is we want to rethink kind of branding in the digital age. If you really look at all your new age companies and even traditional companies, they are rethink the way they want to engage with young India. Right? Mm -hmm. So we want to be a very active part in their journey and to see how can we kind of create a brand personality for them which is working, which is aligned with their legacy as well talking to the to, to younger India right. and what are the different personalities, the different channels which they are talking now. You have digital mediums, you have social media, you have hundreds other way to kind of talk to these young people. So actually taking your brand personality across digital, across uh, offline and online. Right. So I want to see how do you kind of rethink branding in a digital age. And today is the landscape of today in which everything is really rapidly changing. Neha, thanks for being on the podcast. It was amazing having you here. Thank you, Kamal. If you find conversations like this valuable and want to help me bring you more content like this, there are many ways you can support this podcast. You can leave a review on the platform you're listening to this podcast on. You can tell a friend about it or you can also share this podcast on social media. You can also extend a financial support. To know more about that, visit designthisway.com. 
please know that i really appreciate your support and uh, if you have any comments feedback suggestion feel free to get in touch with me on social media or email you can get my email and social media links uh, on my website www.kaval.co in my next episode i have another interesting guest for you so see you soon